Hi, Kim Duke. Hey, Chris Duke. You know what I love? What? Wearing this shirt. Because I wore it for the last time we recorded an ad. <laughs> I try and wear a new shirt every time. <laughs> you know what else I love? It's freaking tattoos. Getting excited. I'm going to get a big tatter on my neck soon. No, he's not. I'm going to do it. Um, but Lelia Bedelia was thinking about getting her ears pierced, yeah? Yeah. She had her ears pierced. She got them done originally at Claire's. And then one of the earrings fell out, and then her ears closed up. So we're going to go a different route this time. Yeah. We're going to go with our trusted friend Justin over at Modify Tattoo and Piercing. And uh, excited. So not a lot of people think about that. But uh, bringing your kids to a professional piercer can make all the difference, uh, both in the cleanliness and in just the overall experience. They know even, what they're doing. Yeah, even the product, too. Oh, yeah. The jewelry. Yeah. If some people like you have an aversion to I cannot wear anything that's not surgical grade. My ears swell up. Yeah, so that kind of stuff you, you, you get that taken care of at the pro shop over at uh, Modify Tattoo and Piercing. Enjoy the show. starts <laughs> we've been doing all the other podcasts lately so i'm so thrown off because i was waiting for you to say hey kim duke again okay i'm kim and i am married to an addict alcoholic hi kim uh, my name is chris and i am an addict alcoholic hi chris and today we have a guest on i'm excited it's, it feels weird saying excited but i'm i'm happy to bring to light something that not a lot of people talk about um when it comes to addiction, because we always associate it with a substance, and that's that's not always the case. So, um, welcome, Miranda. Thank you for being here. Thank you for having me. Now, I I do want to start off with, um, as far as the any substance abuse in your past, were there things that that you had to overcome? Definitely, uh, alcohol and uh, cocaine was an issue for a while there. Oh wow. Now, was that like a product of your environment or did like what were the things that led up to that? Uh, I think the alcohol started. I didn't start drinking until I was actually uh, 20 years old. And uh, when I finally hit 21, it was like the bar scene and that became the thing to do. And not only that, alcohol helped with my social anxiety. So it made it easier to be around people, but also have that fun without feeling so anxious all the time. Yeah. And then the cocaine was probably product of environment. Okay. So when when did you recognize that it was an issue? Um, shortly before my 26th birthday, uh, some things happened uh, that made me down spiral way harder. And I was blacking out every time I drank to the point where like, I didn't remember my nights, obviously. And by my 26th birthday, I blacked out on my birthday and I woke up the next day and I just was so sick and tired of being sick and tired that it was like I can't do this to myself anymore and not only that it's not just me it's everybody around me that has to deal with me (laughs) and it just wasn't just was eye-opening to see something go so fast downhill yeah I'm and I mean what was what was your process for sobriety like did you try and cut 
cold turkey or honestly yeah i did cold turkey uh my biggest inspiration is my dad he has over 29 30 years of sobriety now wow. oh congrats yeah and I remember uh, one blackout night. Well, I guess not blackout brownout because I remember parts of it. I had called him, and he is the one that told me. He's like, Miranda, when are you going to be sick and tired of being sick and tired? And I said, I don't know. Yeah. And it, it was that that morning after my birthday that was like, boom, I need to change or something bad is going to happen. And you dropped all e- of those things. Yep, everything. Wow, that is. I mean. Congratulations. That's Thank you. absolutely awesome that you're able to do that. Um, but I mean, did you have any resources or people that you leaned on to? When I was in my early uh, 20s, like 18, 19, 20, I was actually in Narcotics Anonymous. Oh. So I had taken a lot of that kind of skills that I learned back then and kind of just put it into my life in place now. And I didn't have help. I didn't, I didn't seek out meetings. I didn't seek out people. I just hit the ground running and, you know, I was like, I need to do this for me because it's not, it's, it's not going to go anywhere for me. And so I always look at my dad and it's like, if he can do this, and he always says, I'm straight with the world. Okay. <laughs> and yeah. it's like, okay, if he can do this, I can do this. So yeah, yeah. I guess my dad is probably the biggest, biggest resource. Oh, wow. Well, I'm curious too, like, the uh, like w- were there relationships lost along the way because of yes lots of them actually uh i remember a vivid memory uh a girl who was my best friend at the time who's not anymore uh she dropped me completely because of my addiction with alcohol uh we had gotten into a big fight one night and she said miranda i can't do this you obviously can't control yourself and i don't want to be a part of it and that hit me like a ton of bricks. And it was like, you're my best friend. You're supposed to support me, be there for me, whatever. But at the same time, people can't hold your hand and be there for you if you're not going to help yourself change. Yeah. yeah. It, it, it's, it's always weird to think about that because there's things that like seem obvious now. Mm-hmm. But it, it's just weird to think back and be like, why? how come I couldn't think that way before? Like, what was it that, why did things have to get so bad before I, I could be happier? And that, I think it's honestly because, like, you have to go through those things to, in order to know what happiness actually is. Mm. Very interesting. You got to go through the pain to enjoy the, the happy. Yeah. Sure, yeah. Yeah, I guess, yeah, I am a lot more appreciative of, of everything that I have because of all the, the craziness that, that we went through. You know, I never thought, like, when when you were growing up, were there people who seemed like addicts that, or not seemed like addicts, but that they just were drunk all the time and that you just thought they couldn't handle it and they were over, over drinking often? I guess there was one person that I was around probably more than anything who was an adult and she had a very, very bad drinking problem, like car accidents, crashed her I believe she had a Lexus crashed her brand new Lexus into a light pole and all that. And you like wonder what's going on kind of a thing. Yeah. So it's weird to like that lack of understanding. So, I mean, yeah. I knew there was issues though, other issues. So I guess it wasn't me wondering if there was, I just, I knew there was other stuff going on. Sure. 
Yeah, it's weird to think about now that like what what could I have told my younger self to ask those people? Yeah. <laughs> Are you okay? Like what's yeah. going on in your life? Or like what's their perception of it? Because you, when you're growing up with all like partying and stuff like that, just, it's well, like Well, that's what you see in teenage movies. These kids just get hammered at it's people's the, houses. It's a social norm. It is. Yeah. 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 You know, you see people just carrying a beer all the time and it's just like, yeah. oh, that's what people do. Okay. Yeah. Pull yeah. that pull that biatch a little closer to your face. Yeah, this whole thing moves. There you go. There you go. And you can <laughs> even swivel this swivel this if you want. Got it. There. Nice. <clears throat> now, um if if you don't mind me diving into family history a little bit. For sure. Um what what was your childhood like? Um, well, uh, I'm adopted by my aunt and uncle because my bio mom was an addict herself uh-huh. uh, with serious mental health issues. Uh, so me and my two sisters are all biologically adopted by my aunt um, and uncle. And uh, they had the brunt of it. I got the brunt of the the mental health issues and stuff like that. Uh, I was adopted at a year old, so I was in foster care for a year. And then uh, went through next couple of years uh my, my mental health has been a big part of my life because ever since i was born uh i was born with seven street drugs in my system oh and my, my mom was intoxicated when she had me so i kind of the rough hand was dealt to me at the beginning yeah. yeah so but by the time i was eight years old my mom uh my bio mom killed herself so she's no longer in the picture and i always everyone's always like oh i'm so sorry for you and whatever and i'm like but no she's not suffering anymore she doesn't have to deal with it anymore. And I made my my dues with that. Yeah. Sure. But uh, childhood was, uh, it was rough because I was a out of control, um, reckless child. Uh, from the age of three until I was in my early 20s, about 20 years old, I was on medications. Um, that I didn't, I didn't have a choice. To be on them or not. Okay. And it was constant trial and error, constant. Let's see if this works. Let's see if this works. Well, you we have to add this to that. Yeah. And that's just how it goes. It's never just one thing. Can't just be one. Yeah. But uh, did all that. Um, and by the time I was in high middle school, middle school, that's when th- things got really, really, really hard. Uh, I remember my seventh grade year being like the best year of school I ever had. And then my eighth grade year came about and I don't know what happened. Maybe it was me becoming, you know, I I got my period that summer before eighth grade. You know, all of those things, the hormonal and plus my mental health was really coming out then. Um, I was bullied in high school. I was, you know, I was called the psycho. Why don't you just go home and kill yourself, kill yourself, cut yourself, you know? cutter all of that kind of stuff and uh i was at it was a constant thing that i you know back back before bullying wasn't uh recognized the way it is now yeah yep. sure. and i think that our generation actually helped that i think happen so too. yeah and i think that's awesome um but i was actually uh taken out of school and put into like a day treatment and i think it, at first it was clara's house Oh, yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. I don't know if it's still around Yeah, it's still not. Claire's house, yeah. Nice. Yeah. Um, and I did the inpatient or outpatient treatment part of it um, because... 
what was it that you were dealing with that they had you mental go there? health uh, they oh. had taken me out of school because of all that stuff. And I see. While I was at Clara's house, uh, I had my first suicide attempt and then uh, was actually hospitalized for the first time. And that was just like the tip of the iceberg of the things that I was starting, I was going to have to deal with for the next couple of years sure. with other suicide attempts, suicide ideation, you know, all that kind of stuff. Um I lost my train of thought here. Well, that's okay. So um, when it comes to, and, and I don't want to throw anything at you, but like was body dysmorphia an body, issue? Body dysmorphia was, I think ever since I was a small child, I've dealt with body dysmorphia, not liking myself for who I am. And that was something that I didn't know what it was until I was in my later, my later 20s <laughs> now. And it all... When I found out what it was, it was like, wow, I had no idea. You know, I kind of assume, I, I don't think I've ever, what, what is body dysmorphia like? It's Imagine looking at yourself in a mirror mm -hmm. and you, you're seeing something completely opposite. Yeah. So I lost 25 pounds, but I still, that's why I, in the mirror, I still see what I looked like 25 pounds heavy. Like I don't see what I like when you're like, oh, you look, you can, you look good. No, I still see what I looked like 25 pounds. Oh, wow. Heavy. And it's still like that. And it, yeah, a lot of people, I mean, you can hear that like even, oops, sorry, even on um, shows I watch where people lose like hundreds and hundreds of pounds, they still see that pound, like that person they were when they were 400 plus pounds. Or you, you just always see this image that's really not you. Mm -mm. Um, they did a study with girls where they had them draw their bodies on a piece of paper and the bodies oftentimes were a lot larger than what they were when they would lay down on it. Oh, wow. Because we see people with body dysmorphia see something that's not what's mm -hmm. actually in the mirror or what's real. That's very interesting. So it's almost kind of like a type of trauma that's associated with... Um, the something forced you to view your body in a negative way, whether that was an outside source or a personal thing. And you're like that type of trauma makes you see this negative aspect of yourself when you look in the mirror. Does that make sense? Yeah. I don't know if it always has to be associated to a trauma though. Well, uh, yeah, I, I was trying to say like, it is kind of like a type of trauma in the sense that like, yeah. because like you're saying, that's not a, a norm quote unquote normal thing to, to, See, to look in the mirror and see something completely different. I don't think it, I, I think it's something more of less that while you're growing up, it's something that, like, example, uh, for me, I grew up with uh, my mom always kind of self hating herself. Mm. So that's something that I learned. I think it's a learned behavior mm -hmm. that kind of sticks yeah, with you. I agree. Because my dad called me fat growing up all the time. Oh, fuck. Like, constantly, you're fat. And then when I was in fifth grade, I was. Like, looking back on those pictures, like, in fifth grade, I was like, I was an average-sized girl, but these two boys in my fifth grade class drew pictures, my maiden name, Stob, and they wrote Kim Stob the Blob, a picture of a head with a huge blob body, and put it around the classroom. What my assholes. teacher didn't take the pictures down. So then, in your head, you're like, yeah, I'm fat. Mm -hmm. So then, the summer of fifth grade to sixth grade, I didn't eat, and I ran a lot around the neighborhood. Lost a ton of weight, but you still see... This average size girl in fifth grade, I still saw that even though I did, was pretty thin. It didn't matter. 
but yeah maybe it is associated with something that's in your brain where you know you grew up watching your mom hating the way she looked and all that i grew up with my dad calling me my mom fat all the time and then these kids were assholes Mm -hmm. and made fun of my weight and then you're like well yeah okay so yeah i am a fat kid i think that's so what's so wrong with our like with i guess uh, people because it's like you you don't really think about them saying that to you is going to actually affect you for the rest of your life. Yeah, for sure. And that's oh, something that, that's something words hurt more than a, a punch to the face. Punch me in the face. Yeah, no, yeah. for real. Yeah, please. Yeah, like, yeah. I'll take that any day. <laughs> and it was, and and then eventually it wasn't even just like those boys, and it was a guy I dated who I didn't matter what I looked like, and then calling me a butterface all the time to his friends. Like then you you just constantly feel like you don't like you don't see what other people say. Mm-mm. Like they, it's almost like people condition you. Yeah. To hate yourself. Yes. Yeah. And self-hatred becomes such a a prominent thing in you that you just don't even realize anymore that you don't even see yourself the way you're supposed to. And that's when the destructive things happen. Yes. And that's when the habits start coming in and the... The eating. The eating, the, the extra, you know, exercising overly or diet pills or just you know whatever have you whatever is going to make you feel better in that moment or in the long run that you think that's when it starts yeah and mine was yeah diet pill yeah that was the fifth grade to sixth grade and then eventually i was stealing my mom's hydroxy cut when it still had ephedrine in it so it was essentially speed yep so i was popping speed before i go to school in the morning because i'm like well if i take in the morning whatever i eat i'll lose weight then i'll look good for my boyfriend and this and that. It's just Let's sick. just say this right now. Hydroxycut is not a legitimate diet pill and it will never work. No. Back then <laughs> it sure did. <laughs> well, when, when, it's it got had, when it's got ephedrine in <laughs> yeah. it. You want to know why? <laughs> That's essentially methamphetamines. <laughs> Let's just uh, like give kids or everybody some. No, on. diet pills do no. not work. No, no, it's no. It's like no. The, the fad things. Yes. Yeah. Tip, just, tip yeah. it up just a smidgen. But yeah. There Whatever the kids. celebrities are doing videos, they don't work. No, nah, Photoshop's a real thing. It, yes. <laughs> well, even video shop. There's, there's yeah. Really, no, yeah. freaking crazy. I, I, that was something that blew my mind until that Megan Trainer thing came out. <clears throat> I had no idea that you could do that with in video production. Like that's dude, yeah, fucking insane. I, so I actually, I want you guys to keep going with this because I, I don't. I again, that's why I wanted to have you on is because I don't know that world really, mm-hmm. and. So for you, you did, was it ups and downs were like, uh, yeah, yeah. I'd go through fad diets all the time. Like I was stealing my mom's hydroxy cut and then there was a period where I wouldn't eat certain things and then I was okay. And then I would be happy in a relationship. Like when we were first together, it was ups and downs too. You know, remember you, I remember one thing that you said to me is I like that you eat past seven o'clock. Do you remember saying <laughs> that to me? That sounds like something I'd say. Yeah, because he had dated someone that had a lot of body dysmorphia too, and not would not eat past seven. Yeah, that's yeah. really funny. Yeah, so I still remember you saying that to me, and I was like, "Oh, this guy actually doesn't care what I look like." And so I got comfortable, and then I had landed, and I could not lose that weight. And I'm surrounded by very thin, beautiful women in Chris's family, and I always felt like gross about myself. So then. Before I had Layla, I got obsessed with counting calories. I could literally figure out how many calories were in anything. Mm-hmm. It became because it was... It, that, it's obsessive. Oh, obsessive. I, I can do the same thing. Yeah. Like I had my fitness pal and I was so obsessed. Like 
okay, I ate a little more than what I need to, but I know how much now I need to exercise to get that back down. Mm-hmm. And I did that and I got probably the thinnest I ever been ever. And then I remember Chris, so Chris is in a like, he's not a visual person because I'd be like, look at how, and he'd be like, yeah, you look great. But he would like, I'm like, no, you need to say, I, mean, I look amazing. I look like this and this and this. And it drove me crazy that you weren't giving me that attention. And so I'm like, I'm just going to keep going. Well, because I kept, I kept saying, you're beautiful either way. Yeah. Your your level of attractiveness but has then not when you, changed. When to you've me. been with someone who it was never good enough for, then it's like, well, are you just saying that because it's not good enough? You know? Yeah. That's you, the, the mind fuck. Yeah. The mind fuck. Yep. Mm-hmm. So then, yeah. Then I had Layla, and then I mean, I haven't gotten like that before. Like again, I've downloaded my fitness pal and started doing it a couple days, and I can notice where I'm like, okay, here we go. And then it becomes that obsession again where it's like, I need to know the numbers. Wait, I can't eat this. I really want to eat it. Why can't I eat it? Oh, yeah, because it's this many calories. And then I'd have to go on the elliptical for this long. Well, maybe I can. And it fucks with your head all day long. And so it's I, I like. I think for you, too, um, pr- you like problem solving. And that is like solving these mini equations throughout the day. That These these little goals that you've set up. Like playing, like playing Sudoku. Remember, you used to play Sudoku all the like time. Crazy, yeah. Like, there's something in you that just is like, if there's a mathematical function to it. I love math. Yeah. That makes sense. Yeah. Then, yeah. So I, yeah. that completely makes sense. Yeah. Solving all the mysteries right now. My gosh, Chris. I, I just this is. <laughs> but I, I mean, it hasn't gotten to the like extent. Like, I wouldn't say it got dis like to a point where it was bad where people like i was sick and all that like yeah i don't know oh, i remember you know, oh sorry i don't sorry <laughs> i was just gonna say there was at one point when um uh during our separation that um you had said you hadn't eaten for like three days or something like that yeah so i started doing that when yeah when we were separated and i remember your mom like was like you're either gonna eat or i'm taking you to the hospital those are your two options well, she heard me s- scream at you because you weren't eating anything, and I like made you, s- which is a total asshole move. That's the wrong thing to do if you're actually trying to help somebody. Yeah. Scream at them for not eating. Well, you were true. also mentally not. It was a bad place. We were in a bad, yeah. a really bad place. Yeah. So for years, st- but it was a control <laughs> thing. At I'm- the end of the day, any disordered eating and all that exercise all that it's a control thing when your life is out of control and you can't control i can control how many calories i put in my body i can control that number i put in my body i can control how much i exercise and i can control how pissed you are if i'm not eating i can i can't control that our relationship or our marriage was done at that point but i can control that i'm not gonna put food in my body because yes i see and then it's a control thing and i think that for me uh because growing up not having any control, uh, it, it when when I sobered up, it was like I now have the control again, uh, and not saying I didn't have it before, but because of my upbringing on, and like in my use and everything, my life was uncontrollable. It was like a they call it a uh, cross addiction. Oh, oh, and. Uh, what happened was when I sobered up, that was that was my control. I get to control what I put into my body, yeah, yeah. what I'm doing with my body, and it just it downspiraled very very fast, just as just as my chemical dependency did. So wow. when you sobered up, that's when the eating disorder. That's started. when it came through. 
Okay. Yep. And that was, I remember that it like, it was like the third or fourth month into my sobriety. And the, the thing is like, I've been dealing with an eating disorder for a very long time. And it was something that I didn't really realize. Like I remember when I was like 14, 15, 14, my mom had tried to make me see a therapist for like eating disorders. And at the time I was like, I, that's not my fucking problem. I'm 14. Oh. You don't you don't remember that. You know, you're just like, whatever. You, All the girls are doing that. Yeah. 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 I just I skip lunch. I just don't want to eat. If I just want to eat a granola bar a day, I should be able to do that. And I, I mean, I still struggle with it on a daily basis. And it's something that I understand that I'm going to struggle with for the rest of my life. But it is very much th- control. And yeah. that's that you can't you can't force me to do that. Yes, they can. I was hospitalized for a month due to my eating disorder, yeah. and they can they can force things to on you without your your consent. And that's something that you know really was eye opening to me to be like you know I need I need I need help. And that's something that 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 you had told me uh before that has stuck with me um was the sensation of hunger Mm -hmm. can be addicting because it equates to xyz or and it still does uh the hunger pains are addicting because it's like uh it's another form of self-harm really you know Mm. i used to be a cutter um and that was a sensation i loved okay feeling hunger pains is like the same it's like knowing that I'm 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 hurting myself, but in a way nobody can see it because yeah. they can't. I mean, yes, you can hear a grumble of a tummy, you can whatever. Oh, sure. But it's it's that sensation of like I like to feel empty. Wow, that's interesting. I, I've never that is so I I've never associated that with self harm, but it mm-hmm. makes so much sense. Yep. Wow. That is yeah that. It, like I said, that stuck with me. I found that just fascinating because there's so many things that we like kind of start to, it's almost like we deserve this. Yes. Like, so that, that self-harm aspect, it's, it is, it's control for sure. And I, I never was brave enough to cut. I did cut one time, but a thing that I would do, and I don't know if I've ever told you this, but I would like hold my breath mm. and just hope that I would pass out, fall over, and whatever happens, so happens. So you're basically trying to suffocate yourself. Yeah, yeah. Um, but there's something about that pain that, yeah, it's, you're like, I don't, I don't know. It's really odd to think that there's these um, punishments that we deal ourselves because. You enjoy the pain. Well, it's like tattoos well, too, like that sensation you get. Like I would pinch myself. But there's something positive that comes out of that. What I'm trying to say is like, there's you deserve this, so you're. I suppose, yeah. Well, it's it, like it p- goes back to the the self hatred of yourself, where you oh, then there we go. then you basically are like, I deserve this because I don't deserve anything good. That's what I was trying to. I couldn't figure out how to say that. Thank you. You're good. Um, on, on the mental health side of things. Well, let's go, let's go back. Oh, I'm sorry. I feel like we go all over the place. So I know. I, I kind of became sober. <laughs> yes. Let's talk like your eating disorder was kind of always in the back front. Mm-hmm. And then you said what? Four months? I would say about th- uh, three, three to four, four months, months into my sobriety. So then what kind of was I, what started happening at that point until you got hospitalized? Um, 
I think there's a lot of things. Uh, for one, I obviously was not eating enough. Um, I was eating under probably 500 calories a day. And I was, I started running and to me, running wasn't part of my, isn't part of my eating disorder because running to me was my release. Um, when I sobered up, it was something I found that was like very helpful to me. Well, when you're not eating enough and then you're running on top of it. I mean, we kind of talked about that, that it's not going to help you. It's yes, you're going to lose weight really fast. And that's when it was like my clothes started, you know, not fitting, um, thing you know people would say you the compliments and that's so funny to me about like when people compliment you about losing weight uh but they won't and then like they compliment you people on losing weight but when people are like you know overweight it's bad we can't win here can't win can't win at all but it was like the compliments you know i felt good about myself um I, and you talk about how drinking and using cocaine helped with your anxiety. It's mm-hmm. like now people are paying attention to you because your appearance, that gives you a whole new confidence. Oh, a, the wow. Similar to the addiction was yes. given, you know, you're in the bar drunk. That gave you confidence. Now your appearance see, looks better. Now you feel more confident. If confidence confident. was a drug, I think I'd be searching for it all the time. Yeah. It's, yeah. That's my high is like trying to get my confidence yeah. up there. So and when you were under the influence, that brought that up. Now that people mm-hmm. are paying attention and making compliments about your parents, that brought you back up again without having that substance. Yes. Wow. Yeah. And the dopamine receptors yeah. are just going off. Yeah. Wow. That's that's really interesting. Yeah. Uh, that that combination of things that, yeah, it really is like a, a recipe for disaster. And we talk about that in the comedy world all the time now where like these people who are broken are being elevated without fixing their problems. Mm -hmm. Oh yeah. I guess that makes sense. Yeah. Yeah. So when you, when you're being complimented, you're, you're getting attention from people that you're not asking for. They're just, you're, you're so, you look so great that I'm just going to throw this your way Mm -hmm. just by you doing whatever you're doing. Um, yeah, it, it makes it easier to, like I, I maybe I don't need to change anything because I'm getting all these compliments. So I'll just keep doing what I'm doing for as right. long as I can. Yeah, and it almost makes you stay stagnant in yeah. a sense of like, oh, people are, are noticing this. Well, I'll just stay here. Yeah, that's fine. So, how long did you do the not eating much and exercise until it started um, to kind of take its toll? I think it was almost a, almost a year. I started dating this guy, and very unhealthy he he him himself was an alcoholic he uh he was kind of a narcissist let's say mm-hmm. and he would always tell me that fasting is like okay to do and it, you know i started and that's when things got even worse is when i started fasting yeah let's be real it wasn't fasting i wasn't eating for days on wow. end um and I, I remember very specifically, I like had went to his house before work one day and I was like legitimately passing out. And like I couldn't even think to even put food into my body, but he still was, you look fine, everything's fine. And I was like, alrighty then. I just, you know, things weren't fine. Yeah. You, you know, I, I was legitimately skin and bones. And it was, an, it was, wasn't until, uh, uh, 
really good close friend of mine at the to- uh, time in in that period of my life was like, Miranda, I've known you for about four years, three, four years. I've never seen you look this way. And to me, I, 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 I was fat. I am fat. That's, that's, that's the thought process. And he goes, no, Miranda, there's something wrong. And he, he's like, is it, you know, that night I had just gotten off work and I was, I was dizzy. I was, you know, I was in and out of it. He's like, I'm going to stay with you, um, for the night. And I woke up and I, I couldn't barely even stand. And I got up and I had to hold the wall to even like stand up. And he goes, Miranda, you need to go to the hospital. And like I, I, I didn't even know, but he was already in contact with my parents. Um, he was, he was already ahead of me because he cared about me. Wow. And he's like, I need you to do this. If you're not going to do it for you, do it for me. Mm-hmm. And I said, you know, fine. You know, it took a lot of fighting. I'm very stubborn. (laughs) (laughs) Especially like when you're younger and you've been to the hospital, I'm Mm. assuming for suicide attempts, you associate very negative, very negatively. Yes. And if I go there and now I have to admit that I haven't been eating, they're going to lock me up. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And I I remember walking. Well, I think he actually wheelchaired me into the hospital, but I, I had told them I haven't eaten in over seven days. And. It was like instant they had me in. Yeah. And they they did tests. The doctor came in. The doctor. And I, I had told the doctor that I had smoked weed that day. And he goes, you obviously didn't smoke enough. And I was like, because I was trying to make myself an appetite. Oh. Yeah. Because oh. weed does that. And like, he comes back in. He goes, Miranda, you're really, really, really sick. He goes to the point that like, you're going to ICU. Because like, your organs were probably starting to shut down. My, my whole body was shutting down, yeah. and I already have a kidney disease or kidney injury um, due to the, all the overdoses and stuff like that in my life. That it, you know, now my kidneys are damaged more, and I, I still haven't been able to really get them back to good. Oh wow! Mm-hmm. Are there any like heart conditions that come along with or heart? Can my heart was actually failing at the time? Uh, <sighs> I had heart populations. Um, my heart is fine now, which is. Thank you. I'm doing well. <laughs> but uh, at the time, yeah, it was everything. It Everything was shutting down. And it, I didn't care. And I think that, you know, the guy, the older gentleman that I was seeing had a lot to do. He broke my heart. And anybody knows that heartbreak can make you do things unmanageable. Oh, yeah. Mm-hmm. And I think that was a big part of it at that time. That my eat it, it, my eating disorder fed off that. Oh, sure. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Fuck. <laughs> <laughs> Laying on some realness well, I mean, here. So okay. Mm-hmm. So, so then you were in the. Let's keep it on track. Yeah, yeah I'm really. You go, you go way over here. No, oh, calm down. I think it's me too, though. I'm, I've, I'm like I've got, very. He, Chris is just so, so flighty. What I was gonna. Well, yeah, but what I was gonna say was when when you're you're you know, having these massive issues with physical health mm-hmm. on top of that, the mental health thing there, I know like with being, cause I've, I've been on mental health unit a couple of times as well. And there's this, like you want to fight against, um, what's the, the word I'm the help? For? Um, uh, authority, like oh, yeah. authority oh. issues. Yeah. This it's a obedience, too. Yeah. The, the, the obedience, the control, trying to 
they're taking your control so away. So when you already have that, you you have that learned experience mm-hmm. that these shitty things can happen on um, these units or in these these um, situations. It's tough to take help from somebody who looks like them. Mm-hmm. I would imagine. Yes. And so did, was it tough, like relinquishing any of that to to take that help? Yes. I. When you already have the negative mindset about like people at a hospital or what have you, there's not really much they can say to you that is going to change your mind. Yeah. And I, they had put me on the unit where they like watch you. Um, I don't know if that's ICU. Yeah. So they put you in the ICU. They probably put you like a one to one. So someone was watching you at no, all. No, actually, when I first got into the hospital, it was uh, the unit that they like watch people overnight to see if they need to go upstairs oh the observation yeah here we go observation and they had tried to get me to consume nourishment or what have you and it was just i couldn't and that's when they put me upstairs on level five okay yeah and with you with my stubbornness and like the negativity that i have with hospitals and hospital people alike it was very hard for me to even try to listen to them you know try to even consider that oh they're probably doing this for the best of me but in my mindset it was like I don't care I don't give a damn what you say there's nothing you can do to change this yeah I I hate that like dealing with so many doctors and so many nurses people when when you see people with the best of intentions let you down it's like that trust is so hard to like fully trust anybody in that field because it's like, look, I just saw five of you who told me five different things. How am I supposed to know what's going to like the thing that you're telling me to do? The other nurse or doctor was saying that's going to put me in danger. So it's like you've got confusion. And it's, I'm not saying like that the medical field is perfect. Per- well, unperfect. There we go. Yeah. <laughs> um, but yeah, it it's yeah. I don't know. It's just frustrating to like when you're when you're trying to get better, and then these people, like I said, who are well intentioned, think that they're helping, and then in your mind, you're going, you're actually kind of making me pull back now. So how how am I going to get better from here if I'm going to keep dealing with people like the people that we've seen before? Yes, I, I think. It, I think it's almost impossible, yeah. honestly, to try to take that into Pull that sucker up a little bit. Oh, God. I know. Grab the, the butt here. Butt? No, this butt right down here. Let's right at the very bottom. Yep. And then you push up. There you go. <laughs> <laughs> Short girl problems. <laughs> um, man. So then you went to ICU... Yep, I was uh, I was then transferred up to uh, level five, which is like the ICU, um, and it was a constant battle with everybody. Um, that you know, I didn't I don't want to listen to anybody. It, you know, I didn't I didn't have a care. I, mm-hmm. You know, and it wasn't until my mom brought up to me. Um, well. I think I think a nurse may have put it into her head, but I don't know. She's like, "You're committing suicide right now. This is oh. what you're doing." And you made us a promise when Maggie was born. Maggie's my baby girl that I had when I was 19. Oh, that okay. I would never kill myself or commit suicide because I didn't want to 
be like my biological mother and leave her here. Uh, that stuck with me, but it wasn't enough. Because I remember it was probably about week two that I was upstairs and that's when they started. Uh, they actually uh, got a team together that had to go over my case. I forget now what it was called, but to actually, they took my rights away, basically. So they committed you? Yep. Mm-hmm. They committed me. Uh, they forced feeding tube in me. Ugh. Said, if you aren't, you know, we have to do this. Because the doctor had told my parents as well that I, if I didn't get the feeding tube, it was, I was going to die mm-hmm. in the next couple days to next, it could be hours. It didn't matter. Everything was failing. And I, I remember seeing the, looks, the look on my mom's face and she's crying in front of me, telling me, you know, Miranda, you're dying. You know, please just like do something. And it was like, I think I was already so out of it at that point. I remember feeling like I was in this euphoria that life was it just, just, you know, it felt good almost. But sure. I didn't feel anything. And it was like, I I didn't, and it was almost like I wanted it. Yeah. And it, there was nothing that you could say or do to stop, you know, change it. And until they, they committed me and took my rights away, that was when, you know, came, I came, I, I had the feeding tube in for three days because I kept complaining about how it was hurting my nose. <clears throat> and I was like, if you guys don't take it out, I'm going to take it out for you. Wow. And also, but when I think back on it, I think that a lot of it had to do with I didn't want to be nourished. I just wanted to keep going down. Sure. You know, um, it was, they took it out and they said, well, if you don't do this, you know, you have to start consuming, you know, or they'll put the feeding tube back in. So they use the feeding tube as a catalyst a little bit oh. or a, a almost like scaring me into eating again. Yeah. And right. it, it's so uncomfortable. Oh God. Yeah. It, you, I don't recommend that for anybody. If you ever have to do it, I don't know. Just try something else. I guess sure, yeah. it's not, I mean, definitely a good lesson learned there. I, you know, it, it definitely pushed me in the right direction to, start again and i remember uh peanut butter is the first thing i ate and uh after almost three weeks of not eating and to this day i'm just like peanut butter kind of saved my life guys (laughs) (laughs) what up but i don't know it's you know a lot of people will say that you know you can get recovered from a eating disorder okay i kind of have the mindset that I don't think I will ever be in like a full recovery of my eating disorder just because it's very ingrained in me. I there's, you know, it's. I think I guess that sounds bad because I'm not trying to like. No, that's that makes perfect sense. Uh, be negative towards anybody who like is like I've recovered from my eating disorder, but it's. I look at it as like, I've learned skills and things that I can use now to help me. I mean, yes, there's days that I probably don't eat enough. I don't, you know, at least I try to get a protein shake in a day. If those are like the days that I'm I'm feeling. And I, I mean, that's not even like the healthiest thing, but it's, it's but I'm at least trying now. Sure. And before it was like days on end that it was. And I think about it, 
and I'm like, how do you know? Like they're like obviously I, I have those hard days now, but not compared to where I was. And it's just like I think I'm a firm believer everything happens for a reason. You go through things for a reason because you either need to learn those skills to a help yourself, b help the people around you, or c to show people that you know this is real, this is okay, and it's okay to be talked about. Uh, I, I'm very open about everything, obviously. I shared my whole thing on Facebook. I, you know, it wasn't, it wasn't something I wanted to hide either. Mm-hmm. Because I think that a lot of people hide this kind of thing and don't talk about it. Yeah. Because it's shameful. It's something you feel guilty about. And I think our generation's getting better at that too. Yes. Like, yeah. Hey, this is what's going on with me. Like, yeah, I can show all these great things on Facebook, but in reality, like, it's not perfect. No. And that, that's, I think, like, our social media is a big reason why people are hush-hush. Because you can pretend on social media that your life is ra- yeah. rainbows and daisies and whatever, but you're not shooting anybody's rainbow out their ass at that moment because right. you're really just faking your, your mask. Yeah. And what's the point of faking it? Because... The more you share, the more you are open to people about things, you, you'll you then realize that they'll feel more open and more yes. comfortable to not just hide everything. And then that's when you develop meaningful friendships, yes. not these phony yeah. Facebook fake relationships. Yes. Like you can have these actual real friendships where people are, know that you're being real. Yeah. I, I think like, I think the Midwest, especially there's so much um people when when you make them feel uncomfortable they are they're they want to do whatever they can to make you normal again mm-hmm. and so where it comes out is like angry they're really just saying i just want you to be normal so that i could i can feel normal around you again oh hang on hang on hang on i got this thing i gotta read uh-huh. normal but no there's no normal yeah no. exactly well and i mean that's like one of the things that i learned was like in treatment they uh, you you weren't supposed to touch anybody or offer them tissue or anything because you're just saying, oh, your crying makes me feel uncomfortable. So here, why don't you oh. do this so that I, I know the th- touching thing was because of trauma. I didn't know. No, oh. it was also boundaries. Yes. When I was in the hospital, no touching because no yeah. touching. But, yeah. but when I was in treatment, it was because there was a lot of men that didn't deal with their feelings. They, they were opening up for the first time ever to and perceived a bunch of more bravado men and like that. Yeah. I I feel like there's a lot of things that change. And when people talk about rock bottom, Mm -hmm. whether it's eating disorder, substance, whatever, um, your, your brain remembers like the lowest of lows. And so you, it it is when you said ingrained in you, I get that because it's your brain saying, Hey, just remember, like, mm-hmm. This is how bad it can get, mm-hmm. and let's you know try to do better. So I, I I get that. I think that's that's great. What do you think, Deborah? Yeah. <laughs> Hang on. Sorry, me... the headphones are. I just. Oh, sorry. How... I forgot yeah, you were yeah. going to read. Oh, something. you're good. I I think it just kind of fits with that people trying to make you normal. Uh, some people only like you if you uh, fit into their box. Don't be afraid to shove that box up their ass. <laughs> There's so. When it comes to 
because when when we're open so after, about this stuff, hold on, let's go back. So after you were committed, <laughs> started Going eating. All over the place. Well, I just like when I listen to a podcast, I want the finish of the. St- I want the whole story. Definitely. Uh, so you always okay. go and then ask all these other questions, and then I'm always sitting here like, "Well, wait, we're still in the middle of a story." Sure. Okay. So I'm sorry. I'm just gonna. Oh, okay. So then you were committed. Yep. How long? Six months? A year? Uh, no, I was uh, committed in the St. Cloud Hospital for a month. Okay. And uh, didn't did you have to transition to like the Emily program or? So what no? happened was they tried to find me uh, something a um, treatment program treatment yeah. program. Uh, the first one that I had an interview with was for, uh, for in Fargo, North Dakota. Uh, I'm actually a vegetarian, vegan, vegan vegetarian. I flip flop between the two. Yeah, sure. Um, and at the their program, they had told me. That because I was, you know, vegan, vegetarian, that I don't fit their standards because I have to have a full, full diet. Oh. Okay. And I was like, excuse me, just because I don't eat meat and, you know, all the nine yards of that, that doesn't mean anything. You can't force me to do that. So it was a struggle to find something. The Emily program didn't, it wasn't accepted by my insurance. Oh. Um. And then I found Melrose. Yeah, I was going to say Melrose yep. is the other big one. And uh, on the condition of me getting out of the hospital, um, it was either they were going to put me in a nursing home for a 24-hour watch. Because at the, when I was after the feeding tube and they started uh, giving me food again, they did put me on the one-on-one. Mm-hmm. And um, that's... Uh, they, uh, they said that, you know, you, you technically can't go home. You know, you're you're in this transition period of trying to get placement yeah. that you can either go to a nursing home or you're, you can go live with your parents. Because I live by myself. I have my own apartment, you know, all of that. And uh, my parents agreed that they would take me so I didn't have to go sit in a nursing home with old people. While you're waiting for <laughs> placement. Yeah, sure. while waiting for a placement that, um, and it was... Uh, that was even a struggle. I'm sorry. St. Cloud Hospital kind of is uh, is a shit show sometimes. Uh, when they released me, they had these conditions, these things in place that I was supposed to go see a therapist. I was supposed to see a dietitian. I was supposed to see all these things. Come to find out at that time, for some reason, my insurance wasn't accepted by it. Um, so they literally threw me out with nothing. Oh, man. And um, at the time, I, I, I met a girl there that she was very helpful, and we kind of stayed in contact afterwards. And she she was kind of my only hope in the transition period that she was my resource at the time. Okay. And she helped me with, like, my meal planning, my, you know, what have you. And I'll be honest, I like, even when I got out of the hospital before going to treatment, it was like, I was, I, I was already lying to myself and others. Uh, and you, with addiction, you start to hide things mm-hmm, because you mm-hmm. think, well, if they don't know, it's fine. Yep. You know, I'd say that I was eating. I wasn't eating. I, you know, all that stuff. So by the time I got to treatment, it was like, eh, it, it was, it was bad. And, but to them, when I got to Melrose and they did the interview, they said that I was, uh, Eligible, well, I guess maybe not eligible is the right word, but uh, I was fit for their outpay or their their day treatment kind of program um, without them actually realizing that my, you know, it was actually worse than it was because I, I was regurgitating after I ate anything. I was, 
you know, I was still not eating enough. I was skipping or, you know, all what have you. And so when I got into Melrose, it was, I was there for a day and they kicked me out. Whoa. Because they said I was not fit for their program. Well, that's funny. They had just told me I was fit for their program. Yeah. <laughs> you know? So did they think you needed like a higher level yes. of care? They, okay. They, they, they said that uh, my regurgitation made people uncomfortable. And that people that were in the higher end of their recovery, that wasn't good for them to see. Because it could trigger them. And I understand that. But like, I mean... You kind of knew about all of this, you yeah, know? Yeah. It, then maybe you should have put me in the higher level. At case. first. Yeah. And then the first time you, you had the chance. Um, but I waited about two to three more weeks before I even got into anything else. And I started doing the outpatient actual part of it. To say that it helped, I don't know. I don't, I don't, I don't think Melrose helped me at all, honestly. I think that... I've done enough treatment in my life that I knew what to say and how to get out of it. And that's something that any addict, any person that dealt with addiction treatment in that aspect knows that they want to hear these certain things that you say. And if you're willing to say them, well, it's easy, easy, easy. Yeah. And that, But that comes in with the manipulation of addiction. You yeah. manipulate people to get your way. Mm-hmm. So then after you finished Melrose? After I finished Melrose, uh, I finally came home. Um, and, you know, I was I was okay for a while. I, I think I did well for maybe a month or two. But it wasn't, and it wasn't very long until finally, uh, I call him, I, I guess I haven't even said this yet, but I call him my eating disorder, Ed, and I think a lot of people with eating mm-hmm. disorders do. Interesting. Uh, that Ed kind of made that appearance again because... It's my comfortability. It's something I'm comfortable with doing. It's something that's easy for me. Um, it was, uh, I want to say, God, it was almost like wintertime, I think, that I put myself up the mental health unit. In St. Cloud? Yeah. Uh, February area? February time? Yeah, it was February. Uh, my last day at work was right before the Valentine's Day. And I had called my mom and I remember just sitting on the floor sobbing and said, you know, I can't do this anymore. I'm, I need to bring myself, I'm, I'm going to put myself into the mental health unit. And that's something that I hadn't said in years. That's, you know, I don't like the unit. Yeah. I've been there enough to know what it's about, what it's like. That for me to say that out loud, it was like, you got to do something because you're just, you're e- I was on, I like the, the the tip of the iceberg. I was here teetering it, and it was like if I didn't, I was gonna go back down where I was in May. And it, the thought of having a feeding tube scares me enough to not ever want to go back. Oh, okay. And that's something that like is that pushes me forward every day. It's like I don't want to go back to that. I don't yeah. want to do that. But I, you know, um, did the mental health unit thing again. And then uh, when I got out, I had set up another appointment with Melrose. Lucky me. Um, and they had told me that my eating disorder really wasn't that bad again. And that I was f- fit for their outpatient program. But I had told them I wanted to do something inpatient. I was like very adamant. I was like, yeah, yeah, yeah. I want the help this time. I'm really trying. And 
they were like, they said, you know, can't offer you that. Um, lucky enough, there's a guy in St. Cloud that I know uh, that runs uh, the Beautiful Mind Project. And I'm not sure if any of you guys I've heard of that. Yeah. yeah. He actually hit me up and had said that he knows a lady down in uh, Bloomington, Minnesota that uh, runs a nonprofit house. Uh for people with eating disorders. Oh, and wow. she herself had been in her recovery for a long time. Uh, five years, I think, something like that. So I instantly called her and I, it was, she literally answered the phone. I was like, hi, I'm Miranda. And I, like, I was just like word vomit. I was like, I need help. And she goes, well, how about you come out down tomorrow? And I said, okay. And I showed up at her doorstep. And uh, it was helpful to be around like-minded people. Oh, it was, you know, Melrose, it was very much like cookie cutter. Mm -hmm. uh, everybody had the same kind of plan. If it, it, they had, you know, it wasn't individualized. Yeah. Yeah. And this lady really. Especially with, you know, eating disorders, too. Mm -hmm. You need to individualize because not everyone's looks the same. Not everyone's depression, anxiety, everything. Mm -hmm. None of, And especially if now you're coming with eating disorder and you have mental health behind it. Yes. Your plan's not going to be the same as this person over here's no. plan. Exactly. Yeah. And that's something that I think was very helpful with her. You know, she, she really tried to, I don't know if figured out is the word or not, but she at least, you know, understood. And she was actually, uh, with my regurgitation, she was the only person I had ever talked to that actually dealt with it herself. Hmm. And that was interesting to me because... She's, you know, everyone kept telling me that it was a mental thing. Uh, it was all in my head. And she goes, yes, partially it was. But partially it was your body because of how much damage I had done to it that it was trying to reject anything and everything that I put into it. Oh, interesting. Mm -hmm. But it was, you know, she was, I think that was the main help I got. But uh, unfortunately, COVID kind of hit and yeah. uh, I had to come home. So now you've just been roughing it ever since. Kind of. God yeah. damn it. Yeah, you know, I, I'm a, I, uh, there are good days and bad days is what I tell a lot of people. And I mean, everybody has good days and bad days. Um, but I still struggle. And that's something that I'm not, I, it was not that I'm not open about it anymore. I just try not to shed light on and do it because I feel like I'm trying to get over the fact that it's a part of me and I've accepted that. I've accepted that. That's not something that, you know, it's, yeah. Do you feel like maybe you don't share about it as much too is cause when you do have a good day, you don't want people to think you are good. That's it. Now you're good. Good. Yes. Because then if you have a bad day, you don't want people to think that you failed. Uh. Exactly. So, uh, it's this coaster of it. Yeah. Mm -hmm. So Up I don't want to tell people I'm having a really great day because then they'll be like, all right, you're fixed. You're, you're in recovery. Fine. You're good. And then all of a sudden, two days later, you're having a bad day. And they're like, yes. what the hell? But that's you, a, two days ago, you were good. Right. And that's the thing, too. Is that, And then that's where the, the dopamine receptors go off. It's like people are congratulating on you having good. And, you know, honestly, I think the worst part of it is when people tell me that you look really healthy. <laughs> and I'm just like, can you not say that? Yeah. You know? It's like yes, I put it in some work. I've, I've, you know, I, I'm, I'm what they would call weight restored, now. Um, uh, but I don't know. It's <clears throat> every day is different. Every day is a different battle. It is weird. Um, people, when I 
got out uh were saying like congratulations one day at a time like all of the things that like i was like i kind of want to leave that aspect behind Mm -hmm. like i want my version of normal to move forward Mm -hmm. and yes i do want to own this thing and it is a huge part of me um but i don't want to be spoken to like it's a handicap Mm -hmm. and that like like it's not like baby steps like i've we've made big ground and so now talk to me like an adult yes <laughs> well it's almost always like a backhanded compliment to kind of like right do you know what i mean it's oh it's a reminder of what the fuck was going on yeah and it's constant reminder of like can you like just say something different like <laughs> like oh no ask me about the fucking weather yeah let's just like that yes that's part of it but it's let's move on yeah well, and I, so I, I was going to... Did you have any more questions, by the way? No, we finished the story. That's all I wanted to <laughs> I mean, it's not... The story is obviously not finished. It's going to be a forever story, but mm-hmm. to like at least up to present day, sorry. I'm, no, you're it's fine. It's the thing that in the podcast, I'm like, I just need to finish the story. And no, like, I know. Okay. I, I, you're good. I like. I get where you're coming from, too. And there's yeah, just I so know. many... There's so many aspects, I think, to yeah. I know. I know. Well, and... When when I listen to somebody talk, I I want to highlight another area, mm-hmm. yeah. and the, I fumble around when I try to do that. So doing that stuff helps it stay cohesive. So it's okay, Chris. Uh, you clearly have seen I fumbled around a lot over here, <laughs> so it's fine. <laughs> it's the mental health. It's your ADD. See, and that's and what all. I was going to say. ADHD. So so you grasp, and I'm one of those like, let's do that, and then we can go back. Like we almost have to have no pad to be like. But okay. this is why you guys are yin and probably yang to each yeah. other. Yeah, yeah, you guys work out well. What's that lady, Brittany? For for something, she's married to Tommy Lee. I don't know. I don't know. She was yeah. a Vine star, anyways. Famous person. Vined. She said that in every relationship, there needs to, or there's usually a, a crazy one, and then a normal one, and those things. Because I mean, comparatively, you think about the questions that I ask on our other shows. You're just gross. <laughs> I wouldn't say you're crazy. Well, but We're anyways, all crazy. crazy to whatever extent in that relationship. But anyways, um, no, I'm feeling a little left out that I think the the craziness, Chris. You don't want to be crazy, or you do want to be crazy. We I mean, be crazy. Let, let, let's be real. We already know that we're the crazy ones here. <laughs> <laughs> I don't need to like cipher that one. I just hide my crazy real well. But it, uh, it's the quiet ones are probably the we're the mm-hmm. we're the serial killers. <laughs> you said it. <laughs> Shit. <laughs> we're the ones you look out for. We're the serial killers. So I was going to ask, um, and like a very common theme when it comes to addiction is the the mental health side of things. And you know, there's like these rays of light when when you achieve sobriety or when you you know whatever version of normal that you like to 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 call uh, a good day. Mm-hmm. Um, but then with people who have like major depression or anxiety and all of these things like it's it's scary like I'm glad I'm on the medication that I'm on because I don't have these days like nearly as much as I, I used to but everything feels better why don't I feel better mm-hmm. and so I'm curious as to like because COVID and all this stuff has happened like what are the things that you do to keep your your mental state healthy as well so actually, um, I kind of shed light on the fact that I was on meds from three years old until I was 20. Well, from 20 
till now I, I had been off of meds um be, during like covid and all of that kind of stuff uh I finally came to the conclusion that the chemical imbalance in my brain is not going to fix itself and I mean I've known that let's be real but um I actually had talked to my primary about getting on an antidepressant uh, for the first time in eight and a half years. Um, so I'd started that, and that's almost about a month ago now. Three weeks? Three? Three three weeks ago? And, like, I'm skeptical because yeah. I don't want to I don't want to be like, oh, my God, I think it's working. But, like, I haven't felt the way that I have felt in the last couple weeks ever or for a mm. long time. Um I, I pointed out and it's it's the absence of those things. Mm-hmm. So it's weird that like, oh, this is what it feels like to not have the scary part. So it's not that it makes you like overly bubbly or anything Mm-mm. like that. It's like you just now have the absence of that shit. It's almost like the like a the depression cloud. You remember the, those commercials mm-hmm. where you mm-hmm. got the depression cloud over your head? It's foggy. Yeah, the mm-hmm. fog, the that all, it, it feels I I I'm, it's clear. Uh, the curtains have been pulled once again and I feel like I'm kind of shiny again and I'm feeling I'm feeling okay. Yeah. I like that you said chemical imbalance because I had a really good talk with a, you know, we sometimes will see people that come in and you ask, like we have to ask, is is there a trigger for your suicidal ideations? And when people cannot find a trigger, like I have a great life. I have a beautiful family. They may say have grandkids. I have a wonderful job. I have a beautiful house. I have a boat. I have a cabin. They can list all these great things. Nothing happened for me to feel this way. It's like, because it is a chemical imbalance. At the end of the day, you might have this chemical imbalance going on and then something can trigger and make everything feel worse, but it's still there. And I think people forget that. It's like, oh, you're depressed because, you know, this happened or this happened and this happened. It could just be that imbalance. Mm-hmm. It really is. And I, I think that's where uh, the lack of knowledge and education for people is. Because they really think that depression's situational. Yeah. yeah. And it's like, no, <laughs> it's not. <laughs> right. Um, especially with like how, like why the way that I was born. I was already born with an imbalance. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. That's something that, that I, I couldn't, there's nothing that would fix that besides putting chemicals into my body to fix that. Yeah. And mm-hmm. it, it's like I fought it so tooth and heart and nail for, you know, for a very long time sure. that but it sucks being sad all the time, you know? <laughs> like, I don't know. It's You don't feel motivated to do stuff. You, yeah. you just, like, you're constantly trying to grasp at that end of the rope. Yeah. You're not a, you're not even able to entertain the idea of being motivated. No. Which is such a, a wild thing. It's like, if I, ugh, if I even think about getting up to go and do that thing, then anxiety starts to roll in and it's like, fuck it, I'll just stay in bed and... And then two hours later, you're like, holy shit, I wasted two hours. And then and you get the angry, de- yep. sad, mm-hmm. hostile at yourself. Like, I could have done all these things the last three yes. hours, and now I'm going to be anxious because I didn't complete those things that I wanted to do, and now I'm going to have to do them another day. And it, it's a psych- it's such a sick cycle, and it goes over and over. And people that don't experience it, they don't understand. It's like, just get your ass out of bed. Just eat some food. And just do this. Just yes. do this. Stop hey. feeling that way. just stop drinking just stop everything it's like people think it's not it's not a just stop it's so mental and it's not mental where i can be like yeah that's right yeah i feel sad today i'm just gonna go for a walk and feel happy and do this and that wouldn't that be lovely (laughs) (laughs) you you know those days 
they always say like uh, like doing self care or doing something small. Do something small first so you can like get to yeah. that point. But at the same time, it's like, what if you can't even do those small things? Like showering. I'm sorry. That can be hard on some days. Yeah. And that's a very uh, a mundane thing to do. I don't know. When I'm really in that depressive spot, I can go oh, four to five days without showering. And, and you don't I even notice the smell no. on yourself, which no. is weird. People, don't you stink? Don't you feel gross? You actually don't. No, I don't no. feel gross at all. I feel mm-hmm. fine. It's, not, it's almost like uh, you check out of your body. That's really what it is. Well, I think too, like it's a slow build. Yes. Like they see you on day four, you're you're already like fucking up your senses by being around yourself yeah. the whole time. Yeah. Stewing in your own foul. You know it's bad <laughs> when you're like when you put your hair in a bun and you don't really have to do much for it to stick right up in there. Well, that's when you, you don't even have to use dry shampoo. No, no, you're like hmm, people are just gonna think I have really nice silky looking hair and really it's just <laughs> all that oil yeah yeah that's when you're in treatment i did not wash my hair for a whole week and a half heck yeah hey i mean those natural oils though, are real good for your hair they are <laughs> i do not wash my hair very often <laughs> the showering the body thing though i think i'd bad showering is important <laughs> self-care important self-care. guys treat yourself to a shower if you haven't i okay I am curious. Do you do you still work at the red carpet? I do. How often do people bring that up to you? The fact that you're somebody who's in recovery and you're in the lion's den multiple nights a week. Uh, not as often as it used to be, uh, especially new people I meet. Um, people tend to like try to buy a bartender a shot, oh. and. Uh, I'm very open about the fact that I, I'm in sobriety and like all of that. And anyway, I either get two things. I get, wow, good for you. That's awesome. Or, and they back it up with, I wish I could do that. Sure. <laughs> or okay. it's, well, how can you work at a bar? And it's like, well, it's my job. It's, you know, I'm sure you go to your, your job and you, you don't drink on your job. And that's totally normal and fine, right? Oh, wow. Oh. Holy crap. Mind blowing. That I had, was just the emoji in my head. Holy smokes. <laughs> I know. That's so funny. I had so many follow-up questions, but that's exactly it. See, wow. and that's how I feel too when I'm having bad days. I Obviously, you know, I'm a mental health nurse in the ER. So right. when I'm having my bad days, I'm like... Are those wrapped around each other? Are you stuck over there? No, no. It's, we just have these long cords. <laughs> I just... We, we're, we're just... Play, we're, we're fidgeters. We're, we're fidgeters. Oh, okay, yeah. okay. Yeah. But I when I'm having like my bad days and I have to go to work I'm like I'm such a fucking phony because I'm struggling in my head right now and I have to talk to these people about you should do this self-care thing you should go to see a therapist I'm not seeing a therapist but then I go everyone should have a therapist and my head's like you're you don't you idiot like you're so phony you're such a phony because you're in your office right now having a panic attack and you're not gonna tell anyone that you're freaking out and you can't breathe because you gotta put on that face mm-hmm. it's a mask yeah yeah so yeah, mm-hmm. but you being around something that you like, you know, when I first sobered up, I looked at it more of a challenge for myself. I was like, going to ask uh, that if I can, you know, if I can be around this and it's I can do my job thing, I can control the fact that I'm around it and I, I'm not drinking. It. I have some, I may have some control issues here. <laughs> You're pointing those out here, <laughs> but, um, uh, but not in a bad way, not no. a bad control thing. I mean, honestly, it was a good Especially thing. Especially when you grew up in a, with your childhood, you had absolute no control over whatever happened in your life. Yes. So now as an adult, you're like, challenge accepted. I'm going to have control yes. over this addiction. I'm going to have it in my literal hands. Yes. I can smell it. I'm not going to consume it. Yes. Well, I hear 
so th- this is super common um, is that uh, people in recovery like they like the idea of um, defeating temptation mm-hmm. and there was pe- there were people that I, it still blows my mind like that they said that they knew that they still had all of this booze at home and that nobody else knew where it was in their house but them and when we would be like well call somebody tell them to get that shit out of your house before you you leave here mm-hmm. and they would be like i want to i want to prove to myself you don't you don't have to prove shit Mm-mm. like i love but i love that other way that you explained it which is you don't not everybody drinks on their job yeah no, you I don't do have like to that. do that yeah that's such and a if, especially if it's something you enjoy you you talked about having that social anxiety mm-hmm. this forces you out of it out of it it's so weird because i once I get behind my bar, I feel like I'm a completely different person. But then it, it, we go back into the control thing. It's I, I control my environment. Uh, I, I get to, I, I'm putting on the environment for people to have fun, and I really enjoy that. Yeah. But it, it's like, once I, I step into that, that area, it's just my zone. Mm. And I yeah. feel very good. You know, can't really say much to your bartender with, you know, like, you want to... You know, you don't really want to fuck up that kind yeah. of shit. Yeah, true. Well, that's I and was it, gonna. Oh, sorry. I think, oh, you're good. I think that too. That uh, I've been I've been at the carpet now, uh, maybe three and a half years, something like that. Time flies. Um, I've really came out of my shell. Um, when I first started bartending, I was very. Eh, I didn't want to. I didn't want to make people mad, but now it's like I will stand up for myself, and I will stand up for other people, and I will be like, hey don't do that that's that's not cool bud you know yeah and dealing with drunk people all the time i mean let's be real dude yeah they don't have a filter anymore they don't they don't think about things anymore you're intoxicated you're having a good time yeah well your good times not always good for everyone around you yeah yeah sorry it's okay yeah i know oh my goodness (laughs) um there's also that that degree of separation, mm-hmm. whereas they um, th- there's a trepidation and like they're kind of nervous sometimes to come up and approach you. So that there's that power in that too, and mm-hmm. to say like you know I'm going to make this person feel comfortable right yes. now because I know how uncomfortable I feel when I have to do this shit. Yes, so it's so good. funny. I've actually had a couple uh, guys tell me that they uh, they had used used me. As a woman to talk to, as a bartender, to feel comfortable with talking to women. Oh wow! And I'm oh. like, oh, that you know, that kind of makes me feel good and a little strange, but that's that's <laughs> awesome. Thank You're you. Like, I'm glad I sure. can help you. Yeah, I'm glad. I, I'm glad I was teaching or helping you in a way that I didn't even know I was helping you. But good job. Thank you. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. But I don't know. It it it's fun for me, I guess, because like I don't drink anymore. And that was also, like, the biggest thing about, like, working in a bar is, like, to remind me of why I don't drink anymore. Yes. Oh. I was going to say that. Yeah. And it's, like, that it's fun for me because it, I'm sober. I, you yeah. can't really get anything past a sober person while they're working, you know, being mm-hmm. having a couple cocktails before work or whatever. Like, you, your mindset's not there anymore. Yeah. Yeah. And it's, like, I have fun with it now and I really enjoy it. I think that, yeah, every time I think about, because I've, today I've been seven months sober. I'm so proud of you. Congratulations. Good job. So I was thinking about it today. I'm like, gosh, 
the I think the older we get to, we get the next day anxieties oh of God, what yeah. shit did I say? What should I do? And when Chris was heavy in his addiction and I would go and we just kind of pieced this together with Caitlin last week is that Chris would take me and be like, OK, you can get drunk. And I would get so drunk, like over the top, out of control, drunk and like. I'm like, I wonder what I looked like on the other side. And then I would get so embarrassed. And I don't miss that. I don't miss that at all. The the day after anxieties, oh my God, were the worst. Mm-hmm. And like, and not only that, I used to drink at the place that I worked at. And there was a moment in my, my using that I actually had to get sat down and talked to because of one of the nights that I had. That when I blacked out, I didn't even remember anything that I did. And whole... You would have thought that at that time would have been like the indicator of like, hey, Miranda, you should stop drinking. No, 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 no. I needed a few more experiences in my belt to be like, yeah, that's not just good for you anymore. Sure. So, I mean, as far as um, advice for individuals who are dealing with the, um, the, you know, body image issues and uh, kind of things that you've learned that help keep you safe what would what would you tell people listen to your own opinions I recently uh I feel like I just started doing that myself and that's something that I think has really changed the mindset of uh, fuck what others think yeah it really doesn't matter what matters is what you think um sure you're gonna have bad days bad days come but good days are ahead of you. Yeah. And you always have to remember that, that the, no matter what, one bad day doesn't mean a bad life. Yeah. And with the body dysmorphia, I don't think that goes away. No. I don't think that. That's not well, the, so that's why I said body image stuff. Oh. Is because but, the, but body image and body dysmorphia are very kind of hand in hand. Uh, mm-hmm. Your body image, um, I feel like, uh, is body dysmorphia in a roundabout okay. way. It's not... I will, I will always have the feeling that I'm not good enough, that I'm fat, you know, whatever. But if you change the mindset of saying, you look in the mirror and you're like, damn girl, you look good today. Well, if you keep doing that, you're going to feel better. Yeah. You may not always believe it. And maybe I don't believe it fully. Sure. But at least I'm trying. And that's the best that anybody can do is try. You, you can go through life playing a victim to yourself or you can take the control back and try to change it yeah that's really yeah. what it is body image and body dysmorphia once you have it you're kind of stuck so but i like the way what you just said though <laughs> if you give yourself these positive affirmations yes. and say like you're a badass you look great today mm-hmm. and you keep doing that eventually you're going to trick your mind and feel in that way when you really well, somebody, when I was in the hospital, they had brought up uh, to do three positive affirmations a day. Either write them down or say them to yourself. Yeah. And if you, they said if you do it for like two weeks or something, two weeks, if you can do anything for two weeks, apparently you, you form stay, a habit. Mm-hmm. form a habit. Yep. And it's like, if you can tell yourself for two weeks straight that you're a badass bitch or your ass looks great in those jeans or what have you. Uh, that eventually it becomes a habit to start thinking positively. Yeah. And it's like, maybe, you, and maybe subconsciously you don't even realize that you're doing it. 
but you're trying to do it. And that's when like, I think that's when you start seeing yourself more positively at the same time. That's just not going to go away. Yeah. You can still feel good, but you're always going to have that in the back of your head. But maybe now your good days are all, I will start owing your bad days. Yes. Yeah. Yes. And I honestly think that's kind of where I'm at right now. Yeah. Kim always makes fun of me because I call myself a badass bitch in the morning and what I you wish you did. <laughs> I'd sit in bed and go, yes, bitch. <laughs> Chris, a baddie over here. <sighs> you know me. Mm. Okay. Well, Kim, any other uh, departing words that you'd like folks to know when it comes to the mental health side of things or... Sorry, it was so scattered. No, anyway. that's fine. This is probably the least scattered. <laughs> I feel like I always um, make a comeback around. Like I don't, I don't know. I think we touched on a lot of mental health things. Okay. Just know that maybe I'm going to leave it with this. Just know that your friends on Facebook that post all those great things all the time, they might be struggling. Mm-hmm. Just know that, you know. The superficial comments are not going to go as far as asking someone how they're genuinely doing. How are yeah. you sleeping? How um, has your, your day been? goes a lot farther than, look at you, look at you. Yeah. Are you down to another waist size? That stuff's not going to carry for as long as, as the, uh, the genuine yeah. Yeah. Uh, concerns go. Don't always comment on people's appearance either, I think is a big thing too. Yes. That's I think what I just said. Yeah, you said like superficial. Well, but I meant like directly on someone's appearance. Like you look like you've lost. You could just never know what somebody is actually dealing yeah. with. Yeah. No. Yeah. All right. Well, thank you again for, for being here and um, we really appreciate it. Uh, if anybody uh, would, would like to be on themselves. Um, it doesn't have to be in person. You can call over the phone, be anonymous if you'd like. You don't have to be an addict in recovery. You can be uh, somebody who's maybe trying to come to terms with maybe I have an addiction or if, mm. you know, you have somebody that is being affected by addiction that you'd like to just bounce bounce things off of. Sometimes keeping all that stuff in, uh, it, it goes nowhere and you you feel like you're banging your head against the wall and sometimes saying this shit out loud. Uh, maybe we don't have any breakthroughs for you, but you come up with them yourself just by saying them out loud. So uh, thank you as always. And with that, we will pass. <laughs>